his mind. And here is your host, Gary Cachulio. Welcome everyone to another episode of Everything Imaginable. I am your host, Gary Cacciolillo, and before we get started, I want to thank everybody for listening, and also thank the contributors to my show, who are executive producers, Candace Sanderson, author of The Reluctant Messenger, and Ms. Aida, psychic and author of Hoodoo Cleansing Protection Magic, binaural production engineer, Damien Keller, author of Sounds Good, Sounds Great, and monthly co-host, Jared Murphy, author of It's Not Aliens, It's Worse, It's Us. If you are interested in contributing to this podcast, go to everythingimaginable2020.com and you'll find everything you need there. And now, without any further ado, our guest for today is Gary Wayne. He is the author of The Genesis 6 Conspiracy, How Secret Societies and the Descendants of Giants Plan to Enslave Humankind. Thanks for coming on again, Gary. Well, thank you for inviting me back and uh, so happy to be with you and really looking forward to the conversation tonight and hoping that some of the things that we're going to talk about may be a little bit new, uh, maybe a little bit um, not sure of in terms of, uh, of of the content, but that's what we're here to do is, is to bring some ideas and raise some curiosity and hopefully have people dig a little bit deeper. So I think people might be very interested in some of the things we might have we might be getting into tonight yes i am looking forward to it um before we really jump into some of the more recent type of stuff let's give the uh, listeners a little bit of background on the giants and how they relate to the secret societies yeah and it's it's such a good question and most people don't make those connections and without making those kinds of connections, you miss the context of everything that has happened, everything that's going on, and everything that's going to happen. And there's more to the equation than that, but it's an important link. So giants were created in the Bible in all cultures all around the earth, on all continents, except for Antarctica. Who knows what we'll find there someday <laughs> before the flood. Uh, it's one of those common legacies that comes down through history. It's in religions, it's in the legends, it's in the written history. And they all tell a different story. They may have a different cultural lens. It may have a different polytheist lens as opposed to a monotheist lens as what the Judeo-Christian Islamic perspective would be. But they all tell the same story. And so we have that common history. But what people don't know and because they haven't made the connections, is that there is, to a side of the polytheist religions, this sort of gnosis cult to it, this gnosis, gnosis culture, this gnosis religion, this religion of knowledge and developing the knowledge. And that was according to the Freemasons and their ancient organization, the, the Masons, which would be more accurately called the Royal Masons, they take their history back to the creation of that original religion before the flood, that religion that involved developing the seven, what they call the seven sacred sciences, uh, and the religion that their gods, what we would call in mm -hmm. Christianity, the fallen angels, 
provided additional knowledge to them. And so they housed this knowledge, both the illicit and what was being developed through the generations before the creation of the giants within this new religion. So that it would be protected from the Monday, essentially humans. And so they set up a new religion and it's the mystery religions. And I like to call it Enochian mysticism, the son of Cain, who is accredited by the Freemasons and Enoch is one of their greatest patriarchs because he's basically the founding patriarch along with Cain to their uh, ancient societies. And alongside the development of this mystical religion was the mystery schools that taught this knowledge. And the mystery schools is the beginning of the secret societies. And the societies that formed within those schools and universities, just as, let's say, the Skull of Bones would do today within some of the Ivy League universities. Same sort of concept. And they would develop the knowledge and into, into these, these disciplines. And then it went into the secret societies because that was for the more pure of the pure bloods of the society that was being set up. And that's where they take their relationship back. So they are part of this antediluvian. When I say antediluvian, that's before the flood. This antediluvian organizational structure that was the same all over the world, where you have the pantheon of gods, which is the same pantheon all over the world. And you have the same religion because it's sponsored by that pantheon. And you have the kings and you have these secret societies and mystery schools that are all working together to dominate and populate the elite status class, let's say larger extended families of the royal bloodlines, and to dominate society. And where the difference becomes today with Freemasonry and before is that this was the Royal Masonic Order. These are the ancient Masons. These are the archetypical origination and then as things develop and particularly in the west as they develop for some time you develop a hierarchy of these secret societies and so the freemasons is an organization that would be created just after the fall of the knights templar by fleeing adepts protected by robert the bruce in scotland and mm -hmm. sinclair's are the ones who uh, step up and create and the St. Clairs are the St. Clairs, which was a original battle partner of Huda Payan with the establishment of the Knights Templar and Royal Bloodlines back to Sweden is where the St. Clairs would take their bloodlines back to through the St. Clairs, which was changed to St. Clair when they expropriated Normandy from the French in 912 AD. And it was the bloodlines of Rollo. And of course, Rollo takes their bloodlines back to the Norse gods like Odin. And so you have Freemasonry being set up after the fall of the Templars. But it's now going to be a decentralized organization to replace the Templars. So you're going to have many, which where you get this hierarchy. So you have the royals at the top, and then you have Freemasonry, which is the lowest level secret society that has a depth level. It will have other secret societies reporting into it. Mm -hmm. Imagine a trunk, a tree trunk, and then all of these organizations are branches that go into the center organizations forming the trunk. Freemasons would be lower, the Illuminati would be a step up, um, and then you would have Rosicrucians and so on and so forth up into the Royal Masonic Orders that oversee 
the whole lot hierarchy. So that's the connection. And so they they and the giants were wedded from the beginning. And that's because the giants usurped the kingships all over the world, both before the flood and after the flood again. And it's these royal bloodlines of the kings and their immediate family that formed the secret societies that worked along with the mystery schools and the universe or the polytheist religion. Hmm. So with all that information, that was a lot. It was a lot. <laughs> so, 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 if these bloodlines are sort of coming down from from, I guess, Cain, um, like, what is their is is their motivation one that to benefit humanity, or is their motivation to destroy humanity or enslave it. And like obviously by the title of your book, it seems like it's to enslave humanity. Yeah. And it's more directly from the Nephilim bloodlines, which is the Hebrew word for giant uh, before the flood. And after the flood, Raphaim is the word that's used for giant when, when you take it back to Hebrew. So the Canaanites, they intermarry with fallen angels to create this giant. So in part, they have a, a DNA or a genealogy before the flood on the creation of these giants. Question gets to be is did Canaanites re, uh, did they survive the flood? Because the flood from a biblical perspective was designed to wipe out all of the giants right. as well as all of the corrupted peoples, but they show up after the flood. So they either survive, giants do. So if giants survive, then perhaps the Canaanites survived. I, I tend to settle for more for a second incursion of a creation of giants by fallen angels who didn't go to the abyss after the flood again to create uh, the Rephaim. But you get tribes in the Bible like the Kenites who uh, basically uh, take their etymology back to Canaanite. It's the same word. It's the same Hebrew word that show up after the flood, and they show up before Kenaz shows up in the table of nations. So they're there before Kenaz is born. So they're not born from Kenaz. So they're either surviving Canaanites or they're another tribe of giant after the flood. And you get some other tribes as well that don't show up. So I'm a little bit open to both. But I tend to settle on that second incursion after the flood, and mm -hmm. that the Kenites and the Kenizzites and the Kyrgyzites and some of these other ones that don't have a genealogy back to the Table of Nations probably were different tribes of the Rephaim. Hmm. So, what is their motivation? You know, why did he want to enslave humanity? Like, I mean, are humans even worth enslaving to begin with? Yeah. Another really good question. So biblically, you have uh, Adamites being created, and, and people need to understand that I'm a contrarian. So I come at things not from a standard Christian dogma, and I try and verify everything myself. Adamites are a separate race than the people of day six. And because I think one of the reasons is because I think the Bible doesn't contradict itself. Uh, you have a set of creation details that are completely different in Genesis 1 and then Genesis 2, the creation of Adam. So either the Bible is in contradiction or there's two different creations. Two different creations tends to follow most of all of the other polytheist accounts 
of the antediluvian world and make sense of the Bible, make sense of well, who Cain found to marry when there was nobody to marry. So without getting too far into it, just so that we have, a, have an understanding of that, Adamites are created as a resolution to the angelic rebellion that had occurred before that. So angelic beings were created immortal uh, without choice, but were intimate with God. They knew everything about him. And they also knew when they rebelled that they weren't going to win. They were looking to live in a se separate realm by themselves, away from the oversight of God. And you get that in a lot of science fiction movies where it's the evil God of the universe mm -hmm. or the evil force of the universe. And the rebels are trying to get this one little planet like Earth to be its separate realm, just as it's described in Isaiah 14, 12 with uh, Satan falling from heaven, wanting to raise is, is thrown up to be like God, but separate from God. So this is a resolution to that. So Adamites are created sometime after day six. We don't know how long after. Some people think on day eight, which could be 8,000 years after creation for using biblical chronology, but there's no date that's provided. There's no day eight given. So that's, that's a presumption, but they are created sometime after day six. And they're created with a special commission, with a special spirit involved to resolve the angelic rebellion. And the angelic rebellion is going to be resolved through disgracing its reasons and its pretense for that rebellion. And Adamites were created to do that. So Satan and the fallen angels, they're saying, we're not going to permit that to happen. We still have free choice. We can do anything that we want. And you haven't sent us to the abyss yet or to the lake of fire. So Adam brings down, or Adam's brought down by the serpent, coached probably by Satan in Eden. And that's the first revenge. So what they're trying to do is lead humans away from God, trying to corrupt them and have them rebel against God. So by a couple generations after Eden, people again begin to follow God in the Seth line. Cain has already rebelled and is continuing to rebel because he doesn't like what his fate has been. And so you have these humans who are following God's ways and fulfilling the destiny after the first revenge of Satan in, in the Garden of Eden. So they create the giants to take control of the society because of their great size, because of their great warrior capability and to rule over and be their representatives on earth to rule over, to have lordship over humankind and to lead them away by imposing the polytheist religion right across the face of the earth to lead them away from God and to have humankind destroyed into oblivion. And they're really quite successful that by the time of Noah, there's only eight that are pure and loyal to God as humans. Mm -hmm. And they're saved to start anew. And the idea is, is to get rid of the Nephilim to start again. So after the flood, you get the same religion that pops up starting in Babel from a biblical perspective. You get the same giant showing up in all the cultures after you get the same religion showing up after the flood. And it's right back to the same issue that was before the flood. So there's a creation of the nation of Israel. And that's going to bring about the Messiah, 
that is going to bring about uh, the resurrection and the forgiveness of the sins and to raise humankind above angels in the future time. What happens, though, is, is that the rebellious angels up until the time of Jesus are going to try and prevent Israel from surviving because that's the only nation on earth that they're not ruling over, but the creation of Israel. They're going to try and prevent the Messiah from coming about. And if the Messiah does come about, they're going to kill him. But they didn't anticipate was the resurrection because they don't know everything. And after the resurrection, it was really all over. And now it's just how many people they can lead away and not be raised into immortality afterwards because the fallen angels are already sentenced to go to the lake of fire. So the ones that are in the abyss that will be released in the end time are going to go to the lake of the fire at the end of the last seven years. Satan will go and spend a thousand years in the abyss and then afterwards start another rebellion after the end of the millennial reign and then go to the lake of fire. Their fate has been sealed. And so it was all designed to destroy humankind, lead them astray, and justify that rebellion. But they've already lost the battle. So now all they can do is continue to lead people astray. So many questions. Like one is yeah. like, um, <laughs> like why, why would God allow this to even happen? And the other, th the other thing that, 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 that sometimes this has come up in some of my other interviews as well is, you know, when I look at it from the standpoint of the fallen angels, right? I'm an angel and I got this God bossing me around, telling me what to do and I don't have any free will. So I'm basically his slave and I want my own freedom. Um, so, 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 yeah. so it's almost in, in some ways it almost seems like, in that, from from that perspective, it's like God is like the bad guy. Well, and that's how they make out God to be, right? Because they're obviously adversarial forces to each other. So depending on which side you're on, you're going to look at the other side as good or the other side as evil. So let's go back into the first thing. It's all about free choice. There is free will. So they were they were created immortal without choice. But after that, they had a choice to follow God. And his ways, which were good, which worked, or not. And up to a third of them chose not to. That's free choice. That's yeah. free will. And they want to live, as I mentioned earlier, away on their side, uh, away from God and on their own. So when we look at why God permits that is because you can't oppose anything on anybody and have them truly believe and follow in a loyal way so he allows everybody to make their own choices so that what's left after the resolution to the angelic rebellion after the resurrections after the millennium is only those who have chosen to follow god and what you get is a track record from the time of the rebellion to the end time and then the end of the millennium. So you have all of that period showing how destructive, 
how awful the ways of the rebellious ones are, that nothing good comes from it. And that is held in direct comparative for the angels who remained loyal to see what it was like before the rebellion, to see what it was like after the rebellion. And then another comparative in the millennium where Jesus will reign for a thousand years without any interference from Satan or the fallen angels to see what that would look like and then what Satan does immediately after being released from the abyss which starts another rebellion in the in the second Gog Magog war so you have that comparative so it's designed to let everybody choose all the names that were written in the book from before creation whose names haven't been erased. Mm -hmm. Everybody's allowed free choice. Do what creates peace, prosperity, goodwill, all things good, or the other way of rebellion, away from God, evil, destruction, horrible things. This is not how the world was designed to run, but God is letting it play out through free will because he is greater than free will. That's why he permits it. Hmm. You know, I always, one of the things that bothers me about <clears throat> the idea that we even have free will is that God created us to begin with against our will. Because a lot of beings didn't ask to be created. Mm-hmm. So I wonder sometimes, like, if none of the, us beings have ever asked to be created, obviously we couldn't because we didn't exist, where does the free how, how well, is not, there still free will? Yeah, that's not quite accurate. So, and I'll, I'll 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 define it sort of this way because angels do not are are not permitted to procreate. That's against the laws of creation with either humans or themselves. They do that. That is a violation of the law. They are created immortal because they don't need to procreate because they're going to live forever. So the angels that are going to the lake of the abyss, they're probably not dying because mm-hmm. they can't be killed. And although God could probably destroy anything, but they were um, created uh, immortal. Humans, on the other hand, you had the people of day six, and then you also have Adam. Now, Adam was created afterwards and in seemingly a different format than the people of day six. And then Eve is created from them. So from him. So really from the Adamite perspective and from a Christian perspective of only the descendants of Noah surviving the flood, you have only Adam that was created and Eve that was created by God without choice. All creation thereafter is created by choice of Adam and Eve and all of their descendants. Interesting. So let's fast forward now towards like the end game here with all of this. Mm-hmm. Um, what is it? What is the end game? Like, like it sounds like at, in the end, even the fallen ones kind of get to go back eventually. Go back to the God or whatever. Back to oh no, they don't. The no, no, they, they, don't. they stay in in abyss for eternity. Well, the abyss. You've got two different classifications of uh, beings that are in, are in the abyss. Um, and as it is specific to the angels, only some of them are in the abyss. 
only the impassioned ones, only the ones who procreated the giants, only the ones who did the worst, most vicious atrocities and crimes against humanity, either before the flood and again after the flood. That leaves a whole bunch of other ones that rebelled but didn't do those specific violations that these ones were sent to the abyss. And so there's been angels outside the abyss all along. They're going to be rejoined by the ones in the abyss in the last seven years when the mm -hmm. abyss is opened as Revelation 9 talks about. And then at the end of Armageddon, they're going to the lake of fire along with the false prophet and antichrist. So none of, none of that is, is going on. Only Satan is going back to the abyss for a thousand years, but then he's released. And then after the hat rebellion is put down, he's off to the lake of fire. Hmm. And they so they're not rejoining God. So they stay there forever? <laughs> yes. So either there's a way that God knows to kill an immortal being, which is beyond my pay scale, because uh, <laughs> immortal is immortal. I, it's a concept that seems forever. Um, and also the people who don't want to be part of the uh, the of eternity with God in terms of humans, they have a resurrection too, and they'll be judged just as everybody is going to be judged. Um, but those who refuse God or uh, did you know bad things on earth um, and both uh, are going to go to the second death. So they won't burn forever. But there are a few humans who will, those who take the mark of the beast in the last three and a half years, or those who worship Satan and Antichrist in the last three and a half years. So there's a small selection there that are going to go to, to the lake of fire. I don't believe they'll burn well. It actually does say they're going to burn forever. That's that's a special punishment for them. And also you have the spurious offspring. So you have the demons, which are the bodiless spirits of the Nephilim and the Raphaim. You have those that are going to be going to uh, the, the, uh, the lake of fire as well. And uh, one presumes those are demigods, so they ought, they ought to probably die as well, except for probably a select few that may have done such atrocious things against humanity. You know, there's an interesting term in the um, Epic of Gilgamesh uh, with uh, two, um, we'll call them giants, uh, I think the Raphaim. Uh, because Gilgamesh and Anakadon or Enkidu, depending on which translation you're reading, are created two-thirds God, one-third human after the flood. And Gilgamesh is, if, and he's a king of Uruk, so he's going to be measured on a royal cubit versus an 18-inch common cubit. But either way, he's going to be 16 and a quarter feet to just over 19 feet tall. So he's going to be a legitimate giant by the measurements in there. And they go to the Cedar Forest, which is at Mount Hermon in the Epic of the Gilgamesh. And they're going to kill, uh, and, and Enkidu is going to kill King Hambada, who's a chimera type of creature. And he is called the terrible one. Mm -hmm. He's to do terrible things against humankind. That's what he was commissioned by the gods. That's why Enkidu is going to be killed, because he kills Hambada, which is against the will of the gods, he broke the law of the gods, so he's going to die. Now, biblically, we get the terrible ones too. These are the Raphaim. 
These are the terrible ones that are uh, described as being in the prisons along the sides of the abyss in Ezekiel 32. Not all the demons are in there, just the worst of the demons are. The ones who did terrible things and who are killed and slain on the earth, specifically described that way. And the rest of the demons, they roam looking for people to possess because their spirits didn't go to sleep and they weren't permitted to go into heaven. So they're wandering in, I would call, as Jesus described, in dry places. So they're thirsting for a body. And the only way they can interact in this physical world is to possess and suppress the host. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So <clears throat> with all this going on, in like one is you brought up a couple of things one is how will we recognize the antichrist when will the antichrist happen and how does all this come about like will we yeah. know like like how like in the end like how do you know who to believe like the, like i'm sure that like if there is That's an antichrist the he's gonna make himself out to look like a good guy to, to, well, to, to, sell, be, to, to sell himself to the people, sure. But sometimes, like even like the original story, like where it originally begins, like God's making Himself out to look like a good guy, but He's really messing with His own creations. I think in some ways. Well, God doesn't mess with the creation. Everything that's done in the physical world is done by the angels, the nephilim, and human beings. Mm -hmm. He lets us do what we want. We get the product of what we've done and in partnership with the fallen angels and, and, and the demons. So the question that you were asking was, is how will we recognize Antichrist and how is this going to come about? Christians are going to be disgraced on mass with their overzealousness on trying to identify Antichrist because, and they already do it today. They said Bush was Antichrist, probably both Bushes. They said Obama was Antichrist. And some of them said Trump is that. I mean, every American president, they literally call Antichrist. So they're already losing credibility on that. And Jesus told us very clearly there'd be more than one Antichrist. And then Paul supported it as well, that there would be many Antichrists. So there's going to be a lot of Antichrist wannabes or the archetypical Antichrist. And we're told the spirit of the Antichrist is always with us and always has been to try and bring about the end time because the whole plan is to bring on this rendezvous with destiny and destroy humankind so it's been trying to do that to totally send humanity to oblivion from the beginning and you get a lot of archetypical figures of antichrist we'll talk about after the flood with with who the freemasons call the first grand master of masonry after the flood who wrote the first constitution after the flood and did the first works of masonry with the tower of babel in the city of babel and adopted the knowledge that hermes had brought to him found under the pyramids and brought him back so he is the archetypical antichrist figure he's holding from a biblical perspective universal sway he has the babel religion the Babylon religion, as it's described in, in the book of Revelation, and he's rebelling against God, right? He is an archetypical mm -hmm. Antichrist figure. And Babel and Babylon is a key allegory because prophecy is best understood using the definitions out of prehistory because it tells you 
so much in terms of what you need to know for the context. And so we talked about previously how the Raphaim take control and usurp all of the kingships again after the flood. Nimrod marries into those bloodlines and creates some of the hybrid kings, but they have control over the kingships. And Nimrod is probably the first, although I do recognize Assyria as an extension because the Assyrians come from the Akkadians and the Akkadians are founded by Nimrod. As, as you take the genealogies, as one of the seven beast empires. Egypt would be the other one. Typically in biblical prophecy, the seven empires described in Revelation 17 are the ones that were in, were in contact and either developing, helping, or hurting, and usually both, uh, Israel. So... Israel is brought into a nation in Egypt. Assyria is one that uh, takes uh, the northern tribes into slavery and enslavement and disperses them into the nations. Babylon is the next one, which is, again, out of the Mesopotamian region and part of the Babylon allegory for the universal religion and, and the empires. But Nebuchadnezzar, he is one of the terrible ones that are described in the Bible. And they take, also take Judah for in, into uh, enslavement. And then you have the Greek Empire, and then you have the Roman Empire. And then the end time empire is the last one. These are all beast empires. They're beast empires because they're ruled by the bloodlines of the Raphaim, and they all have Antichrist wannabes in there. And Nebuchadnezzar comes very close mm. to being an Antichrist type figure. And certainly Alexander is on the precipice, and they're being worshipped as gods. And Julius Caesar would be another one. Those are, would be what I would describe as the spirit of the Antichrist, always looking for that opportunity within those beast empires. And Michael is the angel that is preventing Antichrist from coming to power. How about Hitler? But not the empires from coming to power. So... As we move forward, understand there's going to be many rival bloodlines for Antichrist. Mm -hmm. Because there can only be one. It's like the Highlander movie. There can only be one. Yeah. Right? And mm -hmm. they all want to be the dominant family that's going to rule the world. So there's going to be rivalries, and it's not going to be all that clear. And Christians are going to go, he's Antichrist, he's Antichrist. They're going to get, we're going to be totally discredited and be an apocalyptic, mm -hmm. mundane group according to, to the world. The thing is, is that there are a couple clues. Antichrist uh, will be sort of under the radar screen of the early Antichrist, but he will be part of the, the Babylon religion, which is the universal religion, which is the religion of Babel and of Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon. This will be the religion that takes takes place. Obviously, we don't have the religion in place, so we're not in the last seven years at this point. And it's one of those huge stumbling blocks uh, as to how is this going to come, come about. But that's what prophecy says. That's what's going to happen. So Antichrist is going to be within that organizational structure of the political side, because Babylon is going to be a city. It's going to be a religion. It's going to be an economic system. And it's going to control the Ten King Empire that it sponsors. It's going to be the glue and the catalyst that brings about this last 
empire that's ruled by the Ten Kings. And Antichrist is going to be the one who negotiates that covenant. And along with that covenant, he's going to permit the Jewish people to begin the sacrifices on a wing of the temple, on an extremity or overspreading, depending on which translation that you're reading of the temple. Those are going to be signs of that's who Antichrist is. But he's not going to be Antichrist until three and a half years later when he's crowned in the temple after Gog, who leads the Gog War, the first Gog War in Ezekiel 38, which is also Joel 1 and 2 for people to understand the Bible. And that's the 200 million man war that people think is Armageddon, but it's not. It's the counterfeit Armageddon. It's the Armageddon Antichrist needs to take credit for winning as Jesus does with Armageddon, because a counterfeit Christ has to counterfeit everything Christ is going to do, right? Otherwise, mm -hmm. he's not going to be Antichrist. <laughs> so um, what you have is, is other Antichrist, and he defeats this Gog uh, king, or at least takes credit for it. So in that war, people are going to be saying that's the Antichrist. That was Armageddon. And even the elect are going to be deceived if that were possible. And Jesus says that's, that's absolutely is what is going to happen. So you're not going to know. And the word, well, those who are wise are going to know. But they're also going to know you can't point to one and say he's Antichrist until he's Antichrist because you've got all these other Antichrist figures that are out there. Mm -hmm. So people who are in the know ought to be very, very careful on and how they're going to handle this. Otherwise... They're going to become anti-universal religion, anti-world people. They're going to be this mundane, apocalyptic cult that should be persecuted and uh, taken away because they don't deserve to be part of this new new order that uh, is trying to be established. Right. So this is going to be a very difficult period for Christians, and they need to get their biblical chronology right, and they need to get their approach right, but it looks like it's going to be a collision course that is going to not fare well for Christians. Hmm. Some people would say that Hitler was an antichrist because he was such an enemy to the Jewish people. Yeah. But also well, from like no. what you're describing, yeah. I'm not sure if I'm understanding this right, but it sounds like um, the people of Israel will start sacrificing other people yeah. as well. No, not other people, no. just the animal sacrifices animal that sacrifices? they did before. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. But you are correct that Nostradamus predicted Hitler as one of the Antichrists. He's the second Antichrist figure in the Nostradamus prophecies. And uh, his name isn't quite the same. It's Hisler, but Hisler is an ancient name for the Danube River, and or one of the ancient names, and that's where... Uh, Hitler was born was along the Danube. So I think it's more of a, that's where he's from mm -hmm. in terms of, of that prophecy. And Napoleon was the first one. And then there's the third Antichrist figure that he, most people think he predicted for the 2030 to 2040 region. Um, I can't verify that, but that's what a lot of people who study uh, the Nostradamus prophecies would, would suggest. But he was an Antichrist type figure. He was an archetypical Antichrist figure. He, you know, the Fuhrer is basically meaning Messiah. He creates his own religion, right? He doesn't 
He's not a Christian leader. He actually creates the Reich Church in 1933, which is a theosophical variant that they call Ariosophy. So they overlaid Arian and Volkish ideology on theosophy, which is Gnosticism and uh, polytheism and the, and the uh, religion of the secret societies. It goes rogue with this. Mm-hmm. Right. And what also happens with with the, is that not only are they uh, taking their genealogies back to Thule, which is an antediluvian Atlantis, basically kind of like Asgard or something like that, or part of the Atlantis Empire because it had 10 parts. And they take their, their genealogies back to the Aryans, which were the Atlantean giants. So they're basically saying our pure bloodlines are giants. And I am this head giant who wants to create the Third Reich or a thousand year millennial reign, just like Antichrist is going to promise and Jesus is going to do. And he does a Holocaust, very similar to the genocides that are predicted in the Bible. And so it's going to be more than just the Jewish people. It's going to be Christians and, you know, anybody who opposes them right around, right around the world for the coming Antichrist. And he was created through the secret societies. And they have like the German Orden Order and the Thule Society and all of these secret societies that were promoting Nazism as National Socialism and being funded by the banks, which is again part of that whole organizational structure, to originally to take care of the communists who got out of control that they funded previous. Mm-hmm. But they also go out of control. And then uh, you know, getting rid of all of the Jewish people was certainly not what the secret societies wanted and the, and the Masonic bloodlines, Royal Masonic bloodlines wanted, because a significant part of them, not all, but a significant part is Jewish, right? And so when people are looking at Jewish conspiracies, it's part of it, but it's only part of the larger sort of web of organizations, so, but an important part. So... He was an antichrist-type figure. And also another thing that happened with him, which is really interesting, which is comparative to almost what we're seeing right now, in very little time, without the money, he develops a blitzkrieg strategy that comes out of nowhere for all of these weapons that he takes to a whole new level. So he's like the Tiger and Panzer uh, tanks are still the same ones that are used today. They were that far advanced. And he could build, could have built enough of them that might have won the war. They also develop jet engines that comes from nowhere. They also mm-hmm. develop rockets that come from anywhere. There's this bell-shaped device that people think might have been an interdimensional device that comes out of nowhere. The advancements in a, such a short period of time from when he takes power in, in the early 1930s, 1932, I think, as I, as I recall, to having all that in place before 1940, where does that information come from? What they say it came from was their spiritual guides, their celestial white masters, the great white brotherhood. There's a thousand different names, and it could be that those are partly the alien contacts. But wherever the knowledge comes from, it developed at a pace not seen anywhere else in the world very, very quickly to a nation that was bankrupt just before that and had no army. And now we see our technology developing at a pace 
we've never seen before. Just as the globalist movement is, is starting to take place. So when you look at the world government, it's going to be national socialism on a world scale, right? That's why they want to get get rid of that term, you know, nationalism and, and, and things like that, because they want to set it up on a world scale. And everything they're doing is from a socialistic perspective. Most people don't realize national socialism is social masonry, and it is a left-wing ideology. It's not right-wing fascism, but never has been. And when you look at all of that, that is a template on a lower level of what Antichrist will bring about with world government. So does that make fascism the good guy? Oh, heck no. Okay. <laughs> just be, I mean, you can be a right-wing fascist just as you can be a left-wing fascist. They're both evil. <laughs> just different ends of the spectrum. <laughs> so, no. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I thought it was a very, very, very good point that you brought up. And I have a complete chapter uh, on the Nazis in, in the book so that people can go through all the different organizations and the details and the religion and and uh, you know him, you know, being a messiah type of uh, of character. Uh, so, so you mentioned a new religion, like the the religion of, of Babel, in uh, of um, I always pronounce it wrong, Nebuchadnezzar or Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar. Like, what would that religion look like? Would that look like Satanism, where they're sacrificing oh, no. human oh, babies, no. or? Well, who knows about sacrifices um, that, you know, there was sacrifices in polytheist religions, but it wouldn't look like your typical caricature of Satanism, right? The religion that's coming first is the ancient religion of Egypt. It's the ancient religion of Rome. It's the ancient religion of Greece. This is a mystical-based religion. It's known as Gnosticism today. It's known as Buddhism today. It's known as Hinduism today. They all take their roots back to that same religion. It's going to look like uh, worldwide denominations of different branches of, of this type of polytheism. And you look at Buddhism today, they're not out slaughtering people for the most part. Uh, although yeah. they're part of Hinduism and they're, you know, they're sort of anti, anti-Muslims. But for the most part, I mean, the religions around the world, you know, aren't this overt sort of evil thing. Just as you mentioned earlier, Antichrist isn't going to come along and have horns coming out from them and distorted face and spewing green stuff all over the place. <laughs> He's going to be beloved. He's going to be the one that people say, this is the Messiah. They're going to say, this guy can do miracles. This guy can talk like no other. His intelligence is going to be on Mensa, on steroids level. He's going to solve the world problems. He's going to promise peace. He's not going to be hated. Christians are going to not like him. Um, but the rest of the world is going to fall in love with him. I mean, it's like, and he's going to, and he's going to, um, He's going to fake the, re the resurrection. Uh, in Revelation 13, he, he receives a mortal head wound, but lives. You imagine President Kennedy, if he had survived, 
mm-hmm. is gunshot wound or somehow comes back. I'm not saying he's antichrist, but there's people out there who suggest that he, he will be. But if he were to come back, I mean, how popular would he be, right? I mean, just from that aspect, he's going to have the supernatural character. So, and he's going to have the ability to deceive the church leaders in Christianity. Hmm. So if he deceives the church leaders in Christianity, which Christians will be the ones that people should follow? The people who root their belief system in scripture and don't follow the religions. Uh, I mean, organized religion in Christianity has not had a good track record um, and continues to have a poor track record. And they're not preparing their flocks for the end time. They don't teach prophecy and they don't teach prehistory. They're not doing their jobs. They've done nothing to stand up for religious rights during COVID. They, they, they are the blind leading the blind. And they're the ones creating the blind. They're not doing the job. So they're going to be more easily deceived. But there's a lot of Christians who are contrarians, or the biblical term would be Bereans, where the Bereans, they verified everything Paul said from Scripture to make sure he wasn't deceiving them. There's a lot of Christians who actually do the work on their own. They're going to be the ones who are going to become the new leaders and helping other people and trying to prevent them. And there's going to be a whole bunch of other ones in there who are manipulating scripture, who are going to be pointing to all of these things out of sorts and out of chronology. And it's going to be disgracing the Christians. And a typical example would be all of these leaders that come along and say the rapture is going to happen on a certain day. They've all been wrong. And they all will continually be wrong because they only do things for their their own pockets and they don't include all of scripture to get the chronology correct. So there's going to be a lot of that that happens to disgrace Christians as well. So Christians are going to be left rudderless, but there will be internal leaders that are rising, but they're going to be shut out. They're going to be shut out of the internet. They're going to be shut out of mass communication. So it's going to be done one-on-one because anything that's going to go against the theology of the coming world government, the internet companies and the media are going to crush any view that dissents to that. Hmm. Another thing that you mentioned was the mark of the beast. Is that like uh, the 666 on the back of my head kind of mark of the beast? Or is it the microchip that people are talking about that you think is in the COVID vaccine? Is it our cell phones? Is it our social security number? What is it? Well, the the trouble with trying to say specifically what it is, is that it hasn't been created yet. And it's still developing. Now, If you're looking at what the mark of the beast is going to be, it's going to have components of everything that you talked about. But we don't know what the end product kind of looks like. But it's going to be more than what people think. It's going to have to uh, help supply the ability to be God in a physical world. In other words, have immortality and access to unlimited knowledge, just as Satan promised 
you could be like gods if you eat from the tree of good and evil to get that knowledge. Unfortunately, they didn't have access to the tree of life after that, so they didn't get the immortality. But um, they're going to be offering that to humans. And that's part of the pact that people are going to take on and swear on on their oath of allegiance by taking the mark with Antichrist. So what am I saying when I'm talking about that? Well, you have many parallel lanes of technology that's going to be that is being developed and obviously there's going to have to be a, a connection to the monetary system in terms of some sort of electronic cash or uh, something to that effect i don't know whether it's bitcoin or something more advanced to that but some sort of system that you can't buy yourself without that mark and something that's connected into a greater system to be able to make that happen. So technology is going to be a big part of this. And technology that has the ability to uh, go into quantum mechanics and quantum computing because they need access to what the Hindus call the Atma particle. Uh, A-T-M-A, also spelled A-T-M-A-N. And in quantum computing, all the original scientists we're basically we're studying the Upanishads and other uh, Hindu um, holy books to be able to understand quantum mechanics because that's where the principles come from. And that means to be able to access other dimensions and for, for a variety of reasons. One of them is that they're searching for a particle. That particle is called the Atma particle or mm -hmm. the Atman particle. And it's an invisible particle that merges with existing particles and it has the access to all knowledge in the complete universes and through quantum entanglement it sends that knowledge everywhere instantaneously so they're looking for that to access to supply the knowledge the other part is going to be an ability to give you immortality in a physical body in in this world so they're going to need something that is going to uh, either change your DNA, which probably will be part of it, will be able to provide you prescription medication, vitamins, vaccines, everything automatically through nanotechnology or bots or, and that generally as it's envisioned today through what was talked about in Davos a few years ago, an implant that has technology that can work at the DNA level and the subatomic level to supply this and that they want to deliver that through the healthcare system. So you're going to have to have AI involved as well because AI is going to, su to supply this knowledge and to be able to find this Atman particle, they have to be able to go then a single search at one time in the multiple dimensions. So they need AI to do that, which is why you have AI merging with the uh, quantum computing technology. So all of this has to be coming together. And it's where people are getting confused today is they're taking one aspect or they see 5G technology or whatever, and they say, ah, the mark of the beast. No, still developing. It has to merge yet. They're all in separate lanes. They've got to come together. This is a system that will be like, create a incredible, for lack of a better analogy, Borg mentality with everybody interconnected. Hmm. And 
where some of the people are saying today is, is that the vaccines or COVID are the mark of the beast. They're so far ahead and with only a small piece that it's absolutely crazy to look at it that way. I don't like the mRNA technology. Uh, I took the vaccine, but not RNA technology. I had the AstraZeneca, which was banned or not permitted in the U.S. because it's the standard from the virus. So your your, your, mu- your immunity mm-hmm. will adapt and will be better than the single target protein of the RNA message that's being sent in. But what it does is it sends that message at the DNA level. It has the ability as that technology advances to change the DNA. And when it gets digitalized, because everything will be done uh, at within the body in the system that the, that they talked about at Davos, um, you won't be getting a needle. It will be just automatically done so that you get that sort of longevity. So could vaccines be part of it? I think so. And if you look at Revelation um, 18.23, it says Babylon, the universal religion that controls the Ten King Empire until Antichrist destroys Babylon and sets up Satan and Antichrist as the new religion in the last three and a half years. Babylon deceives the nations through her sorceries. Sorceries is not a word that most people understand in a way that the translators chose that word. Hmm. The translators were the elite. The translators were people like Francis Bacon as being one of the editors. They were part of the secret societies. They were all uh, Gnostics. And sorcerers, they called themselves the sorcerers. That means priests, magi, adept. And when they created through the Rosicrucians and the Freemasons, the Royal Society, which is the creation of modern science as we know it today, the seven sacred sciences to develop those, the seven liberal arts sciences as as they're more commonly known today, to honor their pantheon of gods, to lead uh, people away from God, to not give God credit for anything, and to degrade God. That's the four things that they've done right from the beginning with, with the seven sciences. They set up the Royal Society that all science reports themselves to today, including education, and they called themselves the last of the sorcerers and the first of the scientists. And I've got that documented in my book for people. So sorcerer, understand, is a word that they put in there for a reason in in, in the translation of the Greek into the New Testament. That goes back to three words that are very, very similar, sorcerer, sorceries, and sorcerers, and they are pharmakia. They are pharmacus and pharmacos. That is the root word coming out of Latin for uh, pharmacy in Old French that was adapted into the new English language created by Francis Bacon and, and his writers through his writing societies um, for sorcerers. And so that's the pharmaceutical word that we know today. Mm-hmm. And vaccines are part of the pharmaceuticals, just as you've got prescription drugs, and you could probably even include um, illegal drugs in that. that the world is absolutely inundated in. So imagine this being implemented automatically by this healthcare system that people are going to demand because of the pandemics and the birth pangs that are going to be coming about. And also understand that 
pharmacia, pharmacy, its meaning is a chemical potion or a treatment prepared by a sorcerer and a charm and a spell. That's just one of the connections that we need to be aware of is, is that this is gonna be a tool that Babylon who forms a world government by creating the 10 Kings is gonna deceive the world with. It's gonna dumb people down with it to accept what they're saying. And it's still not the mark of the beast. So does this mean- the Mark that... of the beast is put in place when mm -hmm. Antichrist comes to power. So it's still assembling right. under Babylon. It's just one of those lanes that you were talking about. It's one of those lanes, yes. So does that mean I should chuck all the medications I have to take, like for my epilepsy and stuff? Nope, nope. And I'm on a lot of pharmaceuticals myself. And as with knowledge, as with all things, it can be used for good or it can be used for evil. They're always It's always a two-edged sword. So... We need to understand that knowledge is neither good nor nor bad. Medicine is neither good nor bad, but how it's applied will dictate that. And the problem is, is, is that you've got the people who don't have humankind's better interest in charge of this knowledge and technology, and it will not eventually it will not be used for the betterment of humankind. And it's like giving power to the government. The more power you give to the government, eventually they will abuse it. Yes. Yeah, that's definitely proven itself true. <laughs> <laughs> that's interesting. Um, is there any way for us to avoid the Antichrist, to prevent him from coming and taking over and creating this religion and creating um, a race of cyborg, nano, artificial intelligent beings. There's always an ability to have humankind stand up and prevent it. The trouble, though, is, is that God is Alpha Omega and he knows the beginning from the end. He's seen all of the scenarios. He knows how it ends. He's letting it play out. As I said, he's greater than free choice. So we might be able to delay it, but not every generation is going to continue to stop the spirit of the Antichrist from taking advantage. And the ability, there's no ability, I don't think, to wipe out these secret societies and the bloodlines from the world. I mean, they they, they survived the Roman Catholic persecution. So they, they have a wherewithal that is unbelievable because they've got help. Mm -hmm. Whatever you want to call them, fallen angels, demons, spirit guides, aliens, whatever people want to call them, they get help. And that's the people that they talk to and, 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 and help them along at the adept level. So yes, we can probably delay it, but there is a time where it's going to happen and there's an ordained time. And the only thing that prevents Antichrist from taking power is, is when Michael stops it from happening. So he won't stop Babylon from coming. He will not stop the 10 King empire built on the same model as Atlantis, 10 Kings, 10 groups of nations in a world government coming about. He will hold Antichrist off until his time comes. 
but there will be many wannabes. During the time of Atlantis, when there was another group of ten kings, mm -hmm. is this history repeating itself? Nothing is new under the sun. Everything happens over and over and over. And so that's why Babel is such an interesting story, because it's the first sort of repeat within 100 years of the flood. And all of this continues to happen all of the time. The trouble, though, with trying to bring about world government in such a big place with so many people as Napoleon and Hitler and Alexander and Julius Caesar and every in ancient times, you could only, no matter how good your road system was, how good your organization was, you could only supply, maintain a certain geography, which most of the beast empires kind of maximized. And similar to Genghis Khan, he got to that same size and couldn't really expand any further because it was just un unmanageable. Mm -hmm. And... You get into more modern times with, with uh, Napoleon or Hitler, the destruction and the death is so great that you can't really get it done through force. That's why the true Antichrist is handed to him. And so at the midpoint, towards the midpoint of the last seven years, those 10, king, ten kings who were put into power, who are all bloodlines, they're going to be very upset because they're not getting the deal that they thought they were going to get. They're not happy with how powerful Babylon is over the people. They're not happy with how rich Babylon grows because it will put like a value-added tax on uh, or a value-added service charge on every transaction in the world. It will grow incredibly wealthy. They will grow jealous. So they will hand their power over to Antichrist in return for his leadership, and they will turn and just destroy Babylon. So it's very, 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 very difficult to stop it from happening because of what gets is permitted to be put in place, right? But again, until Michael, the restrainer is removed, some people think it's the Holy Spirit, but either way, until the restrainer is removed, uh, Antichrist can't come to power. But we have to see the universal religion rise. We have to have the Ten Kings. We may be in the fig tree generation, which is the last generation that Jesus describes. We don't know how long that generation is. Hmm. Psalm says 70 years for a generation. Genesis 6.3 says 120 years. And then you have to be able to calculate, well, when did that fig tree generation start? If we are in the fig tree generation, I think it was in 1967 as opposed to 1947 when Israel declared independence. I think when they got a hold of Jerusalem, if we are in the last generation, that would be the starting point because all prophecy includes Jerusalem. So they have to have Jerusalem. It's key. Is there a way to escape this by going off planet. And is that possibly a reason why all these billionaires are investing so much money in space travel? Yes. Yes, they're going to try and survive in the Earth or off the Earth for what is coming. They know what is coming before the Antichrist takes power. They're, they're, they know there's world wars that are coming. Mm -hmm. Would it and work? The destruction... No, 
Well, no, because in the end, they'll they're still the people who brought this on, and and they will be they will be killed at Armageddon. No matter where they are, they will be killed. How does that work in Armageddon? Like, how does everybody get killed? Do they just dissolve? Well, it's going to be some supernatural weapon that comes out like a sword out of Jesus's mouth that kills everybody almost instantaneously. So what it is, is beyond probably imagining what that might be. Um, it may be similar to what uh, came out of the Ark or the Covenant when people looked upon it um, and were killed instantly. Through, mm -hmm. And so you can imagine all sorts of lightning and power and stuff like that. But it will be something that the fallen angels and all the armies and all the technology, it will overwhelm them and mm -hmm. their technology wherever they are all over the earth. So it's something that is beyond you know, our technology and even beyond my ability to imagine what that technology would be. Will there be people coming back from the dead? Oh, I think so. I think so. Um, you know, there's a few passages uh, in terms of the false prophets that in, in the, because every word out of Greek and Hebrew, it can be translated in more than one way right, as, as to a meaning in a lot of cases. And you have to be able to select in the translation the correct meaning for the narrative and the consistency uh, within the Bible um, in terms of trying to analyze from Hebrew and scripture the meaning. So it's got to fit and it's got to be consistent. But in false prophet, that can mean, you know, somebody who comes back from the dead. So what we do know, there's going to be a lot of false prophets and they're going to have a lot of power, whether or not they truly come back from the dead or not. We don't know, but um, that, is, that, that, that is a possibility uh, that uh, a select few will. That would be an obvious sign, though, right, the, of what's happening, obviously. When people start coming back from the dead, people are be like, well, we heard this was going to happen. Yep. Well... Uh, and I'm sure people will be pulling out those verses at that time and saying, hey, this is what it means, and yeah, here's what so it said. And it's a red flag. Shows up. <laughs> yeah. But they will also be doing good, right? Again, the false prophets aren't going to be these supercharged individuals in terms of being sort of demonic looking. They're mm -hmm. going to uh, be prophesying, and they're going to be doing things that will say, look, if you want to survive, if you don't want to be destroyed from the face of the earth, then you're going to convert to this religion because this will happen if the world doesn't based on your trajectory. So convert over to the one true religion or this prophecy is going to die. Plus, they're going to do miracles and they're going to do things that are going to just make people wonder. And in the meantime, you're also going to have in the last seven years, you're going to have two prophets from God who are prophesying that the world is going to hate. And you're going to have 144,000 who have seals on their forehead who are evangelizing the world and awakening lost Israel. And one presumes that they're going to be doing things. And it's going to be very, very hard to know in the propaganda who are the true prophets and who are the false prophets. And 
our biases, if we don't find good critical ways of thought and, and to get through the propaganda, they will be playing to the biases and they will be pointing to the ones who disagree with them as being the evil ones that need to be slaughtered and put in persecution and enslavement and all sorts of horrible things. Hmm. So once Babylon comes to power, it's, there's, there's going to be a huge tribulation, and that's the tribulation of the saints that are shown in, in Revelation 7. And they're slaughtered in the first three and a half years because they're standing against Babylon. So that's not the great tribulation that happens in the last three and a half years. Sounds awful. It is. Nobody wants should want to go through it. Can't can't somebody just call God up and say, "Hey, man, call this off." Well, you you can pray to Him to do that, but what's been ordained has been ordained, and because the world has to go through this, so that everybody understands who comes out the other end that what happened can never happen again. Hmm. We saw what happened if we do it this way, irrevocably, undisputably proven. But Luke, and sounds that's like, what has to happen. It sounds like though the last time it happened during the time of Atlantis, and it's already happening again. Well, if the time had been right, if it had been the ordained time, you wouldn't you wouldn't have had anything after that point in time. Right. Right. So another reason why it continues is that all the names that were written in the book of life from before creation haven't been born yet. And that has to be fulfilled. And so there will also be people born in the millennium. So there's still another portion there where those names will be fulfilled as well or erased from the book. Right. So to fulfill the numbers, God has to let it play out. Hmm. Still sounds tragic. It is. It's very, very tragic, but we we continually to prove um, as as a species that you know we're very barbaric. Um, we're not good stewards, and we tend to uh, allow people to manipulate us and organizations manipulate us and turn everything inside out and upside down as to what is right and what is wrong because they play to our biases they know they know how to deceive us um now from the people that are falling you know who would i would call the adversarial forces and have you know obviously humans in those adversarial forces as well they look at themselves as the good people right and we're the ones that are preventing humans from evolving to godhood so there's a choice that has to be made and that's why people have to develop that clear thinking. Is this what it's supposed to look like? So, we're, and if, if we did evolve, and we evolved to be like the demigods, which is basically what they're promising, the Nephilim. The Nephilim destroyed the antediluvian world. Mm -hmm. The Nephilim have been in control throughout our ages, and they've destroyed it. So we're going to be like them, and things are going to be better. How does that make any sense? So, in the end, once all this is done, 
will human beings no longer be able to be manipulated by other human beings and by other angels? Will we have complete 100% free will finally? I think what will happen is that is that we will there's a couple stages here. So you've got the the resurrect the resurrection process that um, goes right through to the end time. Uh, so at the end of the end time, those who weren't resurrected before, but who refused the mark of the beast, they're going to rule with Jesus in the millennium, and they'll be resurrected, and there'll be humans there as well, and they'll be just like us. All they're going to get is sort of the perfect rule and, and all goodness, and people will still have an ability to choose then. And then after the close of the millennium, uh, and with all people that are going to be resurrected into eternity, you receive a new body, a body that can be in the physical realm and in the spiritual realm, and that is incorruptible, and everything that's in the physical world is corrupted by the physical world, um, that has been run uh, by the by the angels since its creation. So God is going to write the laws on our hearts, and He's going to make our bodies incorruptible, and we're going going to be loyal, and we'll have seen this is the way. So all of that, I guess, is where I'm going with it. Is is that the conclusion is is that a we won't want to become corrupted. We will want to follow the ways of God because it's the way of good and it's the way of love and it's the way that things were meant to be and that we won't be able to be corrupted because those new bodies are incorruptible. So there's a body, soul, and spirit. And that's the dwelling place for the spirit is the oikotarian, which is the soul and the body, which is from the physical realm. The spirit comes from another dimension. So it's this new body that that spirit is needs to dwell in, just as a fallen angel, when he wants to interact in the physical world, he has to create a new oikotarian soul and a body uh, and create that to interact. Just that's how they created the giants. And we get that word in Jude 1.6 where it says they left their habitat. That's Habitation is the is the Greek word oikotarian or the dwelling place for the spirit because they're spirit beings, right? And so to interact in the world, you need the soul and the body. And that's also a word that's used only one other time in 2 Corinthians 5 for a house in heaven, just like God or Jesus promised as many rooms in his mansion for a dwelling place for your spirit. Just as a demon, if he wants to interact in the world because he's lost his body. He needs a new oikotarian to interact in the world. He needs a new, he needs a body and a soul, which is why he has to possess that. Mm -hmm. Right? So that concept is, is, is really important to understand. But this new body and soul will be created from heaven for both worlds, as opposed to the physical world that was corrupted right from the beginning. So we'll have a body and a soul that can exist both in spirit and physical? Yes. And if you remember Jesus after the resurrection went to, to Thomas, who was the doubter, and he touched the body and touched the wounds. That's why the word was made flesh, that the Holy Spirit made through Mary a body and a soul for, G for the word to become flesh, to, for a dwelling place for the word. And that's the body that was resurrected into this new body. 
So we're going to have a body like the resurrected Jesus, no crucifixion marks, but uh, a body that is like Jesus because we're being adopted as his brothers. And that's the body he has promised. Wow. Fascinating. That was a fascinating interview. <laughs> yeah. Well, a little more, a little more religious than I was uh, thought it might be, but you know, it's really good stuff. And whether or not people totally believe, you know, what I'm saying or not, the point is, is to search these things out mm-hmm. so that you make your decisions and that you can be comfortable with those decisions and, and you can start to make sense of the world because everybody knows something's not right in the world today. This is wrong. And it's wrong in a way we've never seen before. And it just is beginning. It is a little bit off. Yeah, this is not right. This is not how things are meant to be. And the, and, and the rights are being taken away. Free speech is being taken away. We are on the verge of something that if we if we don't if we can't push back and prevent it, it's going to make the path very easy for all of these horrible things to come sooner than later. Hmm. And people want to know, well, you know, it's, it, what's COVID got to do with with the end time? And it's part of the birth pangs. Birth pangs are um, earthquakes, wars. Um, famine and pestilence and they get stronger as the allegory goes and it's defined several times in in, in the uh in the uh, old testament as sorrows or birth pangs depending on which translation that that you're reading from and they get more intense and quicken as you get closer to the birth that's why you have that allegory and so as the fig tree generation progresses, expect more pandemics. And we've had a few scares like SARS in the past and a few other ones, but this is this is a major one and it's still the beginning. And we could be fighting COVID, COVID for, for years. And so all of those will become stronger as we go and probably working almost together because if you're going to have wars you're going to have more famine you're going to have more disease if you have more disasters you're going to have more pandemics and more famine right that they sort of kind of work also hand in hand and these are kind of like god is permitting this to happen so these are contrived disasters just as it's coming out now that this is probably more likely a man-made virus as opposed to a natural virus Mm. so i would expect more of those contrived type of disasters so by the time you get closer to the last seven years and you get the opening of the seals you get 25 percent destruction through those four birth bangs all of those calamities are those four birth bangs they're the same disasters and calamities 25 percent of the earth 25 percent of the vegetation 25 percent of the animal life 25 percent of the people before the midpoint, it's 33%. And the wrath bowls are 100%, except that Jesus stops in just before the whole world is. So if we are in the fig tree generation, then it's going to get worse. And they're going to ramp up the vaccine mandates. You know, I don't know whether people, you know, have heard of what's going on in Australia and the lockdowns and totalitarian state that they they took all the rights away from people there or what's going on in Canada. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we I couldn't leave my uh, healthcare zone 
uh, last spring. And uh, now they, they're starting to put in vaccine passports and we have a QR code now <laughs> that if you don't have a vaccine passport, you can't participate in society. And that's only going to get worse. And as the technology ramps up on these vaccines, on the mRNA technologies, and they start to say, we're not going to make AZ available like they did in the US, which is why we got all the vaccines because of our incompetent leadership, thought you could actually work with the Chinese on this. And then they told us that six months into uh, COVID that, no, we're not going to give you any vaccines. <laughs> and we're at the back of the lineup. It wasn't for uh, Biden not approving AZ or permitting the uh, it to be approved. We wouldn't have got our vaccines. And that's the only one that's out there that is technology that derives from the virus and not a message going to your, your DNA. So people need to think about this. And I think we need to push back. We need to be saying we need vaccines. Yes, but we need two other things. We need you to stop making these viruses and B we need vaccines that are an option to this new technology. Like the way they've always done viruses that, people will accept a little bit more easily. And I don't blame people for having fears of this M this mRNA, mRNA technology, but it's not the mark of the beast yet. Yeah. That's the thing to keep things in perspective. And, and, and Christians ought not to get ahead of biblical prophetic chronology. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. Like I know where I'm at. Here in Alabama, I think only like 34% are vaccinated. Yeah. <clears throat> However, since the Delta thing has come along, <laughs> it, it, it has been brutal here. It's yeah. much worse here now than when it first came out. Yeah. yeah. And, as, as, and as those variants continue to come about, it's going to be more difficult to have protection against it unless you've got natural immunity or probably from uh, like the AstraZeneca uh, vaccine, because the problem with this MRA, mRNA technology today is that it sends a message to attack a single protein in the virus, which means that it's more easily adaptable, the virus, to the vaccine. Right. Mm. But if you develop all of the immunity, like uh, the traditional vaccines, or if you recover from COVID, you, your immunity attacks the virus on many levels, whether it's T cells or all the different devices that it has. It's not that single sort of rifle shot target. It's got a comprehensive approach against that virus. So your natural immunity is going to be much better than the single targeted protein approach. And that's why the boosters are going to be required mm -hmm. because it, the virus will more easily mutate around the mRNA uh, vaccines. Interesting. I don't know. I know I, I, I've had COVID twice already. Wow. And, and I've had the vaccine. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, I haven't had it since I've had the vaccine, yeah. but, but prior to having the vaccine, I had yeah. it twice. And, and and did you get deathly sick or did your immune system the, the, the first it? The first time was rough. I had 105 yeah. fever. Yeah. Um, and 
That was easy. That was like when it first came out. There was not even a test for COVID yet. Yeah. The the second time, it was almost like having strep throat or something like that. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Yeah. So it's 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 uh, going to hold up probably until until it mutates to it's you know unrecognizable from your immune system. You're going to have that natural immunity. It becomes like the the flu mm-hmm. or the cold. You may get it, but it's not going to kill you, right? Yeah. But with these uh, limited approach vaccines, it's a, it's a money maker for the pharmaceutical companies around the world for the vaccines. Hmm. And that's why they've been saying third shots, fourth shots, fifth shots, right from the outset. The other thing, like I think, and I, I know a lot of people disagree with me, but I think the vaccine started here in the United States. I mean, not the vaccine, the 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 COVID started here because I had it in January of two thousand and nineteen. Well, that was before. They said yep. it was here in the U.S., but I definitely well, but it. we we haven't got the start of the coronavirus uh, when it actually started. You know, there was military games in China that uh, um, people from all around the world, including Americans, participated in. There's a I can't remember her name, and she's got a book out, but it's an Australian reporter who's now written a book about the coronavirus. He was interviewing scientists and um, people who used to be in the Communist Party that were been warning the government since those military games that the coronavirus was let loose or started or got or escaped at that point in time. That was October before your January date. Hmm. So if that was the case, um, and I, you know, I wish people would look into it, but obviously they're not interested in it. Um, then it would have been spread a lot sooner than that. Because mm-hmm. I, I can tell you the date that I actually caught it. Yeah. It, was, it was December 30th, yep. 2019. Yep. Yep. Well, because, and you had because, people in China because, because I had the went hospital. Out, I went out to eat and about a day and a half later, I had it. Yep. Wow. So I think that's entirely possible. And, you know, there are cases that are coronavirus-like in terms of it being identical in quite a large number from October on. Some people even say September in China and right through to December. And some of them are the healthcare and the scientists, Mm -hmm. people that were working on it. So that virus was out there sooner than you know, our governments want to admit uh, and probably will never investigate deeply. I mean, I know Biden said he was going to investigate it. That date's come and gone. Yeah. We've heard nothing. The Chinese are never going to show what happened. They let them off the hook. Um, you know, they, you know, the NIH deleted emails on this stuff. Um, they knew it was um, a human tampered virus or human created virus right from the beginning you know those 40 scientists that Fauci rushes together to put out a letter that it came from the pangolin or whatever animal from the wet market was a completely different dna on that whole virus it was a complete lie but all of them except for one as the report came out this week were being paid by the chinese so total conflict of interest put up by the king of conflict of interest, managing the virus, the guy who was 
partially funding gain of function. Um, and he's been part of the cover up all the way, all the way through, right? And the Biden government is never going to investigate it. Never. Right. Democrats are never going to investigate it because it has served their purposes. Yeah, I think it probably served everybody's purpose in government. <laughs> well, if it's, uh, if, if, it's, if it's about control, then it certainly did. Yeah, and it did that. Yep. <laughs> so before we wrap this up, where can my listeners find you and find your book? So the best place to get a hold of me is on my website. And that is the Genesis6conspiracy.com. That's Genesis6 with the number 6conspiracy.com on the, on the website. And by the way, for some reason, if you're not using um, Google search engines, and I'm not promoting Google in any way, sometimes my site doesn't come up. Um, so if, you're, if you can't bring up that site, use, you know, hold your nose, use the Google search engine, and it will come up. And on there, I've got a generous excerpt of all 98 chapters. So if you go through the table of contents, I think it's going to raise your curiosity. And you're going to get a good feel whether or not that's the book for you or not. And you can order a signed copy from the website, or you can link over and get the digital version from Amazon on Kindle, or you can go to link over from the website to amazon.com or bondsandnoble.com. And also, you can click on to contact the author. And that's the best way to get a hold of me. So if you want some information on this or ask me a question or, um, you know, do you have any documents? I give out a lot of documents. I give out a lot of information at no charge. So if you wanted, let's say, you know, information, you know, on Babylon or something that we were talking about, I got a document on that. You want to know about veracity of giants? I got a document on that. I got thousands of documents and just name me the topic. I'll send it to you. Or you can get a hold of me also uh, on Facebook under Gary Wayne and, and uh, put a question on my timeline or send me a note on Messenger. I'm basically off Twitter and off the other social media right now. I'm still trying to figure out what's going to be a social media that can reach a number of people and isn't too overly manipulated. So I've kept Facebook in the meantime, because I've been on there for a long time and I've got a lot, a lot of followers, but I've not migrated yet to what I think is <laughs> a replaceable medium. So um, still looking, but that's the two best places to get a hold of me. Awesome. Well, I will post a link to, to the website. And in those of this episode, so my listeners can find you, read the uh, samples of your chapters, and if they have questions, they can ask you and reach out to you. Absolutely. Fantastic. Well, thank you again for coming on. This was a really interesting interview, and uh, it was great. Thank you. Well, thank you for having me. Awesome. Hang on for one second, and I'm going to play my outro. Merchandise link at the top of this page, www.everything.